there was lots of speculation, but I think the bottom line was is that somewhere in there, unconscious bias was playing quite a significant part in determining who was being chosen as private FDR evaluator. Hi, and welcome to the Resolution podcast. This month, we are talking about private FDRs, gender inequality in FDR evaluators, and what makes for a good FDR. Thank you to all three of our speakers for joining us today on the subject of private FDR hearings. Um, It'd probably be good if each of you told us a little bit about yourselves and your interest in the subject. Antonia, probably go first. Thanks, Simon. Yes, I'm Antonia Mee, and I am a partner and co-founder of Burgess Mee Family Law, based in London. And I do a lot of financial work, and my clients uh, range from high net worth to medium net worth to a modest level of uh, assets. So I'm doing the full gamut of financial work, and I'm interested to talk about the private FDRs in relation to all of those types of cases. And Sarah? Thanks, Simon. I'm uh, Sarah Phipps. I'm a barrister at QEB Chambers in London. I've been practising for 25 years. I specialise in financial remedies work. It's almost exclusively what I do. And I also sit, I'm instructed as a private FDR evaluator. Uh, So I'm able to talk from both sides of the table in relation to this subject. Okay. So I'm a partner at Withers in London. I have been at Withers for my whole entire career, which has been around 20 years now. My practice is typically wealthier clients, and I've I've got a mixed practice, both money and children work, as well as, as prenups and the occasional international child abduction I suppose I typically deal with cases that are highly contested and generally I get wheeled out when there is what seems to be an intractable issue or a a very contentious issue to resolve, whether that's because of the facts or the personalities or both. Thank you. Sarah, can I ask you, first of all, before we get into the meat of this, can you tell us about private FDRs? What what do you say is the difference or the advantage of a private FDR over a court-based FDR? Well, private FDRs are where you instruct a specialist um, barrister or sometimes solicitor, but it's mainly barristers who are doing this work at the moment, to act as your FDR judge, or I should say more accurately, evaluator. Um, The venue is normally a solicitor's office or chambers, and it runs exactly like a court-based FDR, And the purpose is to ask the evaluator to give an early neutral evaluation of the likely outcome to the case. The benefits are that you both sides agree on the evaluator. So, you know, you are instructing someone who commands the respect of both sides legal teams. You know, they will have read the papers thoroughly, normally more than once, uh, and that they will give very careful consideration to the outcome And the other benefit is you have them at your disposal all day. So ordinarily, you'd start your private FDR at about 10. And most FDR evaluators will will sit as long as you need them. Within reason. 
I think it's perhaps less easy to dismiss an indication from an evaluator who you know does this work day in, day out, um, and as as well that you've collectively chosen to instruct to do this work. And what you find if you go to court is sometimes you can have an excellent judge to do your FDR for you. Occasionally, we've all had experiences where we've ended up in front of a judge who either isn't experienced in financial remedies work or perhaps has a very busy list, hasn't had time to read the papers, doesn't really have time to deal with the FDR in the way that it deserves to be dealt with. Essentially, you're de-risking the court experience, I think. You know you're going to have a Rolls-Royce experience on the day which, in my view, increases the prospect of settlement. The other thing to say is it's generally more comfortable, to be honest, than being in court. You're in chambers in your own room. You've got somebody bringing you teas and coffees and sandwiches. And it's a, it's a perhaps a more amenable experience for the lay clients um, because they're in a more comfortable uh, environment. So those, in my view, are the, uh, are the benefits uh, of it. I suppose one more thing I would add is that often you can get an FDR dealt with more quickly if you deal with it privately than if you're waiting for the for a court listing. I know that's maybe more of a problem in London than elsewhere, but certainly in London, you can be waiting six months for your FDR. Do you know from when you're sitting as an FDR evaluator what your what your personal settlement rates are like? without wishing to put you too much on the spot. Do you know how, how often people are taking your indications and, and settling the case? I see perhaps not precisely on it, but around it. They don't all settle. And the other, the other thing, what I don't know, is whether they settle after the event. So quite yeah. often what will happen is I'll be told at the end of the day, we're very close, we're not quite there yet, the wife wants to sleep on it, you know, and then... They go off and I I, I never hear. So I, I don't really have an accurate percentage to give you. But I, but I, I can't say that everyone I've done has settled on the day. But everyone I've done has certainly the issues have narrowed considerably so that the, the parameters of the dispute have certainly narrowed quite considerably. And sometimes it's just that somebody wants to go off. Uh, and check evaluation or, or or you know there's there's some sort of niggle that they haven't quite resolved speaking at it from the other side of the fence as it were as a solicitor generally speaking I would say that it's more likely that you would reach a settlement after a private FDR because by the time you have chosen your evaluator you've paid your evaluator you've committed to the date um, it's everyone is more invested I think at that point in in reaching a solution not to say that people aren't invested in a court process but you've there are a few other hoops to have to jump through and also I think that point that you made about there being a a higher degree of comfort people feel more at ease you know the experience generally has been less stressful and I think that makes it easier for people to make decisions about their financial future so I think that also lends an element and also, you know, you're likely to have someone who's highly experienced in doing this sort of work. So you can't then say, well, actually, I think that person might be talking rubbish because they're not talking rubbish. That's the whole point. You've asked them to do the FDR. Antonia, do you find that clients are concerned about the cost of a private FDR? And do you, do you find that the the cost actually is significantly different to, to go to court? 
I mean, there's, there's obviously a cost because you're paying for your judge. But I think that it is cost proportionate and it can actually be an economy because certainly in London, where there are really long delays for getting a court listing. So if you're waiting six months for an FDR, that's six months of solicitor correspondence. There's going to be additional updating disclosure, etc. before your court FDR, which is all going to cost thousands of pounds. So if you can appoint a private FDR judge straight away after you've done your financial disclosure, um, you can get some quite junior barristers doing them for say three to four thousand pounds plus VAT um, which if the parties share the cost that's going to be a lot more cost efficient than waiting months and paying for your solicitors to do all the work that I was talking about until a court FDR so I think that they're not just for wealthier the wealthier families I think they can definitely be a, a of an advantage for all families and of course, there are more more expensive private FDR judges because you can go for a senior barrister or a silk. But you know you can you can essentially get one to fit for where the cost fits your case. And I've found because I've got a whole range of cases that everyone is really interested in hearing about these. And of course, if you're looking at what what we're trying to achieve with it. Well, FDR in general, as everyone knows, what you're trying to achieve is a settlement um, so that parties can stop spending the family money on legal fees and also move on with their lives. So you can certainly achieve that in all cases with a private FDR. I mean, it's it's voluntary, so you don't have to do it. Both parties need to agree. But I think that when you, you give them the figures, most people agree that it's going to be cost efficient. I think court settlement rates on an FDR are running about 50% at the minute. So, uh, Antonia, do you, do you also do you think that private FDRs are beating that sort of percentage in terms of creating settlement? I mean, I agree with Kate that people are really invested in it. There's a sort of feeling like we've agreed this. This is our this is our private FDR and we're going to do everything we can to try and reach an agreement at it. And you do have all the time that you want. So there is time which you may not get at a court when the doors are closing at 4.30 and everyone has to leave. Mm-hmm. And so I think that definitely there is more chance of reaching an agreement at an FDR, a private FDR, and I'll tell people that. Astute listeners will have noticed that the three of you are women, and I know that you've all come together um, as part of a project to try and increase gender diversity amongst private FDR evaluators. What what was the reasoning behind that and, and how's the project going? Shall I perhaps answer that question? Because I think I've done quite a lot to try to move move this forward. I think it was probably just under two years ago, I, I genuinely sort of woke up one morning and thought, hang on a minute. I've literally never had a private FDR before a female evaluator ever. And that was, I suppose, during the middle of COVID when I was doing more private FDRs than I might have ordinarily because people were doing things online. Access to the courts was more problematic and it it seemed just easier for people, um, generally speaking, to do private FDRs in that way. And I stood back and I, I was I was shocked by my own by my own thoughts because I instruct barristers all the time. 
I instruct a mix of barristers and I certainly from a gender point of view don't really pay any attention to it but you know I, I would generally instruct both male and female barristers regularly and so having having stood back and looked at, at that I asked a few questions of a few of my colleagues and my you know my friends in the family law world and asked them about it and they were also scratching their heads and so I did a, a review of the statistics at Withers I did with the assistance of uh, some other barrister friends, they did some, you know, a review of the statistics in chambers. And it turned out that around 1% of private FDRs were being heard before women, which is a shockingly low statistic when you think that 50% of the global population are women. And I, I just thought we had to ask ourselves the question of why that was happening in a situation where in the private FDR world, you are choosing your judge. What unconscious bias is acting there to me that when we as solicitors and as as barristers recommend when we choose a judge or evaluator why are we choosing men um, and what do we need to do to change that and so that was effectively the you know the idea that struck me and the rest has kind of come from there and Kate it was interesting wasn't it we never sort of put our finger on what exactly it was that had caused this unconscious bias but it was it was it was a whole range of factors yeah, and there was what we did is we kind of brought together a group of you know sixty or so practitioners, principally in London, to talk about it, and then to talk about what we needed to do. And there was lots of speculation as to why it might be happening. Why is it? You know, is it because there are fewer women who are doing this sort of work? Is it because there's a smaller pool from which to choose your evaluator? Well, the answer to that was no, because actually at the junior bar you know, it's about a 50-50 split. At silk level, it becomes more challenging. But that wasn't the answer. There was speculation as to what people think a woman might say versus what a man might say. And obviously, the point of a private FDR judge is to give you the answer as to what a court might say. And at a court, you can't choose whether you're going to get a female or a male judge. So yeah, it was there was lots of speculation. But I think the bottom line was, is that somewhere in there, unconscious bias was playing quite a significant part in determining who was being chosen as private FDR evaluator. I think it was also laziness as well. Yes. That there was a pool of respected names and they were they were always um, put forward as private FDR evaluators, all of whom are very good private FDR evaluators, but but you 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 we felt that the pool needed to be more diverse and and broadened out, and it wasn't good for diversity of uh, for diversity generally for the same names to be coming up all the time. And and so, what have you done about it in the project? So, what we did was we had we had a series of Zoom calls where we talked about what we might think the reasons for this was, and then we came up with what is now a, a sort of best practice guide as to how you would shift away from a pattern of pattern of thinking that might that might lead to unconscious bias into a pattern of 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 appointing a private FDR judge that means that 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 is less prominent in the thinking and so the idea is that you would now choose the window in which you want your private FDR to happen you would then make a long list dependent on availability and from that long list you would shortlist three candidates that you would then put forward for selection and on that shortlist you must have at least one woman and so it's you know, it's it's a fairly general approach and it's, in, in my mind, unarguable as an approach to be taken in the selection of someone who might sit as your private FDR judge. And interestingly, 
um, having come up with that best practice a short time ago, the International Council for Arbitration also did a report because gender diversity is a real issue in international arbitration too and the selection of arbitrators and in their 383 page report they came up with the same reasons as we had as to why this might be happening and the same recommendations as we did as to what needs to be changed so I felt quite quite gratified at least that you know we were we were on the right track but so that's in place now and what we're asking chambers to do and also law firms to do is to monitor their statistics because it's no good saying, well, look, that's brilliant. Let's all do it. You actually want to show that there's change. And if there's not change, then to ask yourself the question as to why that's not happening. So we're in that sort of monitoring phase now to see how much we've shifted the dial. I mean, in, in general, it was very positively received within within the profession, um, both barristers, chambers and solicitors firms. And certainly in my firm, which has got a lot of young women working in it, um, it was seen as a hugely positive thing and people are um, very motivated within their careers by these sorts of initiatives that are being done. And the barristers chambers and clerks really have supported the initiative and have given supporting statements about supporting the aim of achieving diversity in private FDR tribunals. So that's been so encouraging. Yeah, I mean, certainly my experience is whether people are sort of, if you like, formally signed up to your to your project or or if they're not that just the mere fact of the, the the very stark reality that you've highlighted is resulting in changes in practice whether people are, are doing it in that formal way and recording the statistics or whether it's just opening up a, a conversation there will there are of course opposing voices anybody who <laughs> who was brave enough to read the uh, comments under the Gazette report where, that, that dealt with this, uh, dealt with your campaign, will have seen that there are people who view it differently and who who who, who believe that the only criterion for choosing uh, a professional in a case like that should be merit. Um, I, I don't know if you want to, to say something about that. Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely it should be based on merit who you're going to put forward but I can't see how by putting forward in your list at which could be a list of as many people as you like at least one woman how that can be deviating away from merit because there must be so many good women out there who could be excellent private FDR judges so um, I don't agree with that reader who thought that this initiative might depart from a client's what's in a client's best interest yes the suggestion that having a woman's name on an fdr evaluator list is somehow not going to be based on merit is one might say slightly offensive to women (laughs) because it suggests that women couldn't be put forward on merit so we certainly uh, wouldn't accept that criticism of our initiative it's just ridiculous the idea that you might exclude you know, a vast swathe of your, you know, your potential pool of evaluators on that, on the basis of gender, on the basis of anything, really, you know, and that's why you need to, you know, there's, there is a thing as such as confirmation bias, you know, you need to actually move away from this and you need to start looking at it from the other end of the telescope. So actually, when you come to select the person who's going to be doing that job, you're selecting the person who is the most talented and the best person for that job, regardless of any characteristic they might have. 
So we've talked a bit about private FDR judges and trying to increase diversity there. One of you, I think, mentioned that it was difficult. It's perhaps harder to find um, female silks practicing in this area. And uh, I would say probably also senior judiciary practicing in this area. Also, it tends to be male dominated can I ask you do, you, do you think this project, first of all, is going to have an impact on the amount of women we see being made leading counsel, first of all, in this area? Who'd, who'd like to answer that? Kate, have you had any discussions with um, the Bar Council about it? The Bar Council's doing quite a lot of work on, on diversity generally. I'm probably not the best person to speak about it because I'm not at the Bar, but I have spoken to both the Bar Council and the uh, FLBA about this in general and you know, the statistics show that there's a problem I think the difficulty is is what you know what is then being done about it but perhaps Sarah you can you might be better able to speak about what what's happening on the ground on that front. Yeah I mean my views are, are only my personal views about this you know it's, and it's to some extent speculation because I can't speak obviously I can't speak for other women but I I, I do think it may have a positive impact because I think it's helpful for junior women to see senior women in decision-making roles. I think that's encouraging for them. And I think that part of the reason that we don't have uh, more female silks is, and this is this, this has been found to be the case, women are less likely to put themselves forward for silk. So a woman will only put herself forward if she's pretty sure she's going to, to, to be successful um, so it it's potentially a confidence issue. Um, and obviously this goes way beyond the private FDR initiative that we're talking about. But in my view, it must help for women generally to be seen as having obviously equal status as men when it comes to the selection of private FDR evaluators. And it then may also encourage women, I think, to look to judicial roles, because, you know, if you enjoy becoming an FDR evaluator and enjoy that, that experience and, and doing that kind of work, then you may then think, well, actually, I will, I will have a look at, at becoming a judge. So I think it's got to be a positive um, step for gender diversity um, at the senior levels of the bar and in the judiciary, personally. Obviously, we're going to have to wait and see whether that does feed through um, but but giving I'm, I'm really keen that junior women see those of us who are more senior in these decision making roles. I think it's important. This is perhaps a, a more controversial question, and I, I understand that you you may want to be circumspect in how you answer it. But we we operate in a in a case law environment where the law is developed by by judges and by precedent, do any of you think that the fact that there has historically been such a preponderance of men in judicial and senior council roles means that perhaps case law has evolved in a gendered way in financial remedy cases? My view is it, 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 I don't think it makes a difference, actually, um, personally. I generally think judges are intellectually honest and will look at the way the law is developing. Obviously, we've had quite a big sea change in the way maintenance orders are now 
made in particular in relation to terms and that all stemmed from SS and NS which is obviously a decision of Mr Justice Mostyn personally don't think that's to do with the gender of the judge I, I that's that I don't think you know, a female judge could just as easily have come have, have have moved the dial in relation to in relation to maintenance. So my view is it it, it hasn't made a difference. Others may may have a different view. I, I I just don't know. I I can't see into their minds unless they specifically say something in their judgment that I think has a gender bias to it. I just I wouldn't know whether there being more male judges has led to. Um, a gendered approach to the case law. I slightly think that this is this is the same problem as the kind of selection of your private FDR judge, but just from a different angle, which is an assumption that a man is going to think in one way or an assumption that a woman is going to think in another way. I think, you know, as a society, we're not there on gender equality. And that is obvious in all sorts of different walks of life. And it's obvious in terms of the makeup of our senior judiciary. But to therefore then make the next assumption, which is that those people who are in those positions are therefore going to think in a certain way, I think is is problematic. And so I think we need to be quite careful about, about that, but to look at the law as it evolves and as practitioners ask ourselves the question as to whether or not that is the right way for the law to have evolved, whether it's suiting the needs of our clients, whether we think it's appropriate professionally and or personally and then to be doing something about it at at that stage you know if you are acting for a client who has been you know awarded a term maintenance order and that is not the right outcome in that case then you need to be taking steps as a professional in that in that scenario it doesn't matter what your personal view is and it doesn't need to be because the law is gendered in a particular way So having talked about where we've got to in respect of private FDR judges and in fact the judiciary, can you can you help us with the practice side of it? Because we don't just want to hear from you as people who've who are trying to ensure equality amongst our evaluators. We also want to learn something for from you about how to be successful in presenting our FDRs and uh, running the best case from our for our clients. So who would like to start us uh, with that? Antonio, would you like to? Yes, I mean, I think start off as presenting it as an option when you're having your first meeting with your client. It's a positive thing. We can try and, you know, if we can't reach an agreement through solicitor correspondence, then as soon as we've done the financial disclosure, we can think about having a private FDR and um, try and avoid court as well. And, you know, explain to your clients at the outset what it is. And people generally respond in a really positive way to it because it's not court and it's something they can agree to do with their spouse. And you can explain the the, the cost efficiency of it, if that's the case, which it usually is, and also the shorter time scale. So, you you know, you can all start working towards it. Both sides can start working towards it from the beginning, right to the other side and suggest it. And then everyone's, it just gets everyone motivated without um, necessarily everyone gearing up for a court hearing and a battle. It's more collaborative in a way. I think also the, the client needs to know, of course, that if if settlement can't be reached, the court option is 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 always there as a backstop. You know, you're not you're not excluding that uh, as a as an option for resolving it for 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 a final hearing, but um, keeping it out of the court process 
as long as possible, basically. I'm sorry, I just wanted to make it clear that, that you weren't excluding the, the court entirely. Yeah. The point I was going to make, which is related, actually, so that what you said there is really helpful, Sarah, because I've got a lot of cases where there are no court proceedings at all. And instead, what's happening is that we've agreed a time frame for disclosure. We've agreed a time frame for exchange of um, questionnaires and replies to questionnaire. And we've agreed that there would be a private FDR um, that is effectively fixed for a, for a time in the future. And then if that private FDR doesn't work, and actually I've never been in the situation where the private FDR, FDR hasn't worked because either we're in kind of all out litigation and, you know, the gloves are off completely. And so we're in a court process. But if you're not there, then generally speaking, the private FDR is going to work. But if the private FDR doesn't work, then obviously you've got the court option. But you don't necessarily need to go all the way back down the snake to square one again because you can arbitrate. And so that is an option in those sorts of cases. If you get stuck, you can have an arbitration. And it might be even that you are able at the FDR to agree the division of capital, but you can't agree the quantum of maintenance, in which case you can have an arbitration on that single issue. You can choose whatever you can arbitrate about what, whichever bits that you want to. And so that's also an option. And I don't think it's an option that is taken up very often, perhaps because in the cases that I've described, typically, if you're not in a court process, then generally speaking, you're more likely at some point to be able to reach a settlement. But it's it's there. And I know of some, you know, some cases where you would sign the, the arbitration form prior to the private FDR. And so nobody can use the advantage of there not having been a settlement to try and send the other person back to the bottom of the snake again, you know, while they get to square 100, you can use that as a way of making sure that there is that backstop. And that can also incentivize and encourage settlement too. I think it's also important to make the point that if you've had a private FDR, the court won't require you to have a court-based FDR as well. So once you've, you know, if you you say to the court that we've done that, they won't expect you to, to do it all again. You're not doubling up on costs on that. In all of your experience, I guess Sarah in particular, but all, all of you from, from both sides of the table, what do you think makes for a good private FDR? Um, 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 what, what does a good private FDR evaluator bring to the party? The word I think is key is preparation. So you, it's really important, I think, for you to, to ensure that your FDR bundle is prepared in good time. You've exchanged offers. Council's notes are exchanged the day before. It doesn't necessarily need to be at 11 o'clock in the morning. It's a private FDR, but in good time. So that not only does the other side know what your position is and you know what the parameters of the dispute are, but importantly, your evaluator has time to read everything and really understand the respective positions and is able to think about it. Everyone's invested so much time, effort, and some money into the process, it's a shame, I think, to potentially lose that by not being well prepared. And, so, and being, being well prepared means that you, your private FDR judge can give their indication in the morning um, so that you've got as that's much. That's also time. a very good point. And Antonia is absolutely right. If you're not getting your indication till two o'clock in the afternoon or three, three o'clock in the afternoon, you're losing your negotiating time. So um, I do think really make sure that everything's not coming in at the last minute because it doesn't help your clients um, and you're not going to get the experience that that you you would like to have from the private FDR. Um, 
I think also, uh, I mean, this is teaching everyone how to suck eggs, but really try to agree as the schedule of schedules of assets as much as you can. You don't want to be spending an hour or two in the morning arguing over, you know, how much is in a certain bank account or or, or whatever. Um, it's not it's not time well spent. Of course, there are cases where the whole issue is a valuation issue, but but generally, most cases you ought to be able to agree um, what the assets are before you before you start um so that so so my view is yes preparation is is key i don't know if um antonia and kate want to add to that no i mean i think that just you know remember that you're all there everyone's agreed on this this course of action and you know i think there's less risk at a private fdr as opposed to a court FDR of um, a lot of acrimony because everybody is trying um, their best to make a whole day of it. I mean, I've been in court FDRs where one or other side has walked out. I I think there's less chance of that happening in a private FDR because everyone is, um, you know, everyone's, everyone knows in advance who their private FDR judge is going to be there's less unknowns on the day. Um, you know, you're not being shifted to a different judge at the last minute, which can at court, which can throw clients. Everyone's more settled, I find. Just I think um everyone just be prepared, respectful, and you know, just try bet try your best to, to use the day positively. Well, what's persuasive then? in terms of putting someone's case at FDR from having listened to them or seen them or been evaluator your, yourself, what do you find is persuasive in terms of moving the court or the FDR judge one way or another? Well, I think that's a really difficult question because it depends on, it really depends on the case. I tell you what I don't find particularly helpful as an evaluator is is listening to shall we say, spats about um, who's been late with their replies to questionnaire or, uh, you know, um, litigation issues which are unlikely to to shift the dial in terms of the overall outcome to the case. It's helpful, I think, personally, and I, I say this as an advocate and as an evaluator, to really focus on the big issues between the parties and and, and really try to focus on settlement and not to get engaged in um, side issues, which actually aren't particularly helpful. Yes. And I think, Uh, I I think clients, if you're in court, if you're in a courtroom at court, clients want their advocate to be bringing up all those points about who was late with their replies to questionnaire and so on. But in the private FDR, I haven't experienced that as much. And I think that's good because at the end of the day, you know, it's not really going to change what the judge's indication is or the private judge's indication. That's interesting that you think you think it's um, you've seen less of it in a in a private FDR setting. Mm. Yeah, is that this is that the same of bringing up any bad behaviour of the other side? Well, sometimes it's relevant. You know, I mean, if you've got a case where one side's um, where, where it's relevant, then of course it's got to it's got to be brought up, but. Um, uh, I think in most cases, 
co- those conduct issues aren't relevant. Sometimes litigation conduct, I suppose, is relevant. But 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 it, it, what I'm talking about is the sort of side issues that we all know that maybe the client feels is important, but but actually is not going to shift shift the dial very much. Um, uh, but in terms of what's persuasive, uh, obviously, I mean, it depends. It, it, it depends on the case. Um, but um, a, as an evaluator, I think it's helpful to just be told these are the issues that we need you to give an indication on. And this is our case on those issues and really focus on what matters in the case and what is going to help these parties settle. And if at a private FDR, your private judge has got more time and is doing only your case that day, and you can just ask them at any time for an indication on a smaller matter within the case that might have arisen, whereas you might not have the opportunity to do that in court because the judge is really busy with the rest of their list or isn't going to see you again. Do any of you worry that by promoting private FDRs, we're in some way perpetuating a two-tier family justice system where there's a a state system and then a private parallel system for those who can afford it? I think it must be something that's crossed all of our minds who do this work. Yeah, and perhaps I could answer first and then Sarah and Antonio can, can can chip in as well but my own view is that we already have a two-tiered family justice system because we've got the people who can afford legal advice and then the people who can't and that is a really serious problem for family justice and many more people are touched by a family justice system than than pretty much any other aspect of our law um, and it and it's a problem that has become worse and worse and worse and so by having some clients effectively contract out of that system into a private system I think is reasonable and fair and in fact allows more court time for the judges to be dealing with the litigants in person that they're faced with who are not advised and who don't know what what you know the jurisdiction is for various orders to be made don't don't have any resources available perhaps have low levels of digital literacy uh, certainly no access to the sorts of legal advice that our clients are, are able to access and you know I'm suppose a, a similar analogy could be made with the NHS you know is it fair that someone after their skiing accident can go to their private hospital and get their knee done in six weeks when other people are waiting for months and months and months on an NHS waiting list well it's quite obviously unfair that that is the situation but I don't think you can blame the in that circumstance for for deciding to opt out you know there is a wider sociological issue here um, and political issue that's not an issue that I don't think we should we should burden our clients with in trying to advise them as to what is best for them you know if I were a client I'd want to know that there was this option available to me yes I agree with what Kate says and that the court is massively overburdened and it is going to assist in alleviating some of that pressure if some people are going down the private route. I think it's also worth going back to what Antonia was saying before, that there are cost advantages to this process. So it's not just for the big money cases. 
So, yes, I, I think there probably is a risk of, of a two tier system to some extent, but this is not exclusively for the very wealthy. Um, it, it, it can be cost effective, is cost effective, in my view. And there are some excellent, certainly barristers. I, I don't know how many junior solicitors are, are doing this kind of work. There's certainly some junior barristers who are very reasonably priced who can sit as your FDR evaluator. So it's perhaps not quite as stark a difference as private health versus NHS, but I, I understand the analogy that's being being made, but perhaps it's not quite as stark. Finding the right judge or the right level of judge for your case then, and if there isn't great uh, a huge amount of assets, then perhaps looking for someone more junior to come up with your... Yeah, I think if people haven't experienced this private FDR process before they might be surprised at how reasonably priced FDR evaluators are I mean obviously there's a range but it's it's perhaps less expensive than you think and when you and when you think about the fact that you've got your FDR evaluator for the whole day they will have spent the day before some of the day before at least reading the papers and thinking about the case and for all the reasons we've said, there's a higher percentage likelihood of settlement. All of those factors taken together mean that it's worth considering, I think we're all saying, in in most, if not all cases. Thank you all for coming on the podcast. That was really illuminating. And perhaps you'll let us know if you get some final final feedback about your project and whether you're achieving equality in um, private FDR evaluators and we could update it on the show notes or on the website yes certainly